we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. Today is Friday, November 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson. Thank you for joining me on this lovely autumn day. On today's show, we'll be bringing you our review and discussion of the new documentary film, There Was a Killing, which will be premiering online tomorrow. This film examines the circumstances surrounding the tragic death of activist Regan Russell, who was killed last summer when she was hit by a transport truck carrying pigs to a slaughterhouse in Burlington, Ontario. We'll also be sharing a short interview with local Vancouver activist Roy Sassano, who is one of four activists facing criminal charges for exposing shocking abuse of pigs at Excelsior Hog Farm in Abbotsford. And we'll be sharing exclusive footage of those activists' recent confrontation with officials from the BC SPCA. That's coming up later on in the hour, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Tomorrow, November 7th, is World Numbat Day. Now, in this part of the world, many of us are not familiar with this animal. I myself had never heard of numbats until I learned that it was World Numbat Day this weekend. The numbat is a small mammal found exclusively in one area of Australia. They look a bit like a squirrel, except with a longer, pointier snout and are a similar size. They're sometimes called banded anteaters due to the stripes across their backside and the fact that they feed on termites with their super long tongues. Numbats are critically endangered, largely due to habitat destruction, but there are several initiatives in Australia to protect them and help restore their numbers. I thought it would be nice to bring a little international awareness to this little-known endangered animal. Here's a clip from wildlife expert Tim Faulkner with fascinating facts about the numbat. G'day everyone, welcome to Animal Tales with Tim Faulkner. Today I am talking one of my top five favourite Aussie species. It's the numbat. Numbats are uniquely Australian and there are some very quirky and special things about them. But they're a marsupial and this means that they're related to things like kangaroos, koalas, possums. They have a pouch. Uh, numbats have a bit of a tragic tale that they used to cover nearly 50% of Australia and now they're restricted to less than 1% of it. The real impacts have been the introduction of the feral fox and the feral cat. Numbats uh, are now found in the wild in only a few scattered spots. Their population is around a thousand. A thousand, think about that. There's 1,000 individuals, they're on the precipice of extinction, but much work is going into their savior. Let's have a look at their external features. Now, most people have never seen a numbat. Most people won't see a numbat in the wild, but they are striking. When I saw my first numbat, I couldn't believe how small it was. 
It looked bigger in the pictures, but they're only this big, and they've got a big fluffy tail. Now, if we start up at the head, uh, they actually have something that's very interesting. They have more teeth than any other marsupial. That's really interesting because they don't really use their teeth. They've got a long tongue, and the tongue is about 20 centimeters long. It's almost as long as their body, and they lubricate that tongue with a sticky substance, a sticky saliva. And why they do that is because of their food, termites. I'll come back to that in a little while. But they've got this really long tongue. Now their facial features are incredibly cute, really beautiful. A uh, little stripe under the eyes. Uh, as you move down the body, they've got striping across their back. Like we know with the Tasmanian tiger that's gone extinct, which is actually one of the Numbat's close relatives. And they've got that beautiful striping all the way down. Then you come to that big bushy tail. It's no accident that it's big and bushy. And what numbats will actually do is, when they move across the landscape, they put that tail up in the air, and it distracts predators. Because if you're a goshawk, or an eagle, and you're gonna come down and take a numbat, does the numbat want you to grab its head or its tail? Its tail, of course. If you grab the tail, the numbat's got a chance to get away. And that's why it uses that big bushy tail as a distractor from the head and the important organs. Now, their feet and hands, little hands are quite dexterous. They can dig quite well, uh, pick up bits of things. Uh, they'll use their mouth to carry nesting material and their back feet just used for running along. Uh, numbats live in open woodland. Uh, they need their food source, termites. So they're typically associated with uh, eucalyptus trees, uh, termite mounds, uh, you know, really red soils throughout the arid interior of Australia. And one of my favorite spots in the world is Dryandra Woodland in Western Australia. Now it's Wandu Woodland and it's just wonderful. It's so insular. The Wandu eucalypts just really give you a feeling that you're in this dense forest. Sadly, over 90% of that forest was cleared in the late 1800s and early 1900s. That was a really big problem for numbats. Their little refuges now are still invaded by the feral fox and feral cat. But in that woodland, they do something that's quite remarkable. Numbats are fully diurnal. It's really rare because so many mammals, uh, they might be awake a little bit through the day, but they're mostly nocturnal or crepusculous, morning and night. But numbats are, are, are holistically diurnal. Now, there's a reason for that, and I'll get to it when we get to food. But in these woodlands, there's so much fallen timber on the ground. And one of the good things we can do is not go and collect it for firewood. It's numbat homes. They live in hollow logs. They will dig little burrows under those logs or even go up in a tree to a hollow, not too high, but they shelter in those logs and they use that woodland. Let's talk about their food. Now, they eat termites. That's it. And a numbat can eat 20,000 termites a day, little packages of protein. Now, the reason they're diurnal is because the termites are governed by temperature. Now, the termites they eat are actually uh, subterranean termites. They live just under the surface of the ground. When it gets too cold, on really cold days or nighttime, the termites go away from the surface and back down into their nests. When the sun heats the ground up through the daytime, the termites come to the surface. That's when the numbats become active. So my friends who work a lot in Dryandra Woodland from uh, Project Numbat, or Numbat Task Force, uh, they can set their clock and say, when it reaches 21 degrees, the numbats will come out. And when it reaches 30 degrees, the numbats will disappear. 
If the numbat food source isn't available, the numbats don't come out. They know this. So they need subterranean termites that live under the ground to come to the surface to be able to dig. Incredible sense of smell to find them. Then they use that long sticky tongue to wedge it down in all of those little termite networks. The termites stick to the tongue, they can eat 20,000 a day. Numbats are endangered. At one point, there was about 300 left in the world. Now there's about a thousand, but they're still very fragile, so they are certainly endangered. Their big threats historically included habitat destruction. We annihilated their habitat. And now we've got the threat of the feral fox and the feral cat. Now there are projects that are using conservation fencing to create island sanctuaries that exclude feral predators and provide refuge and habitat for numbats. So that's numbats and they are one of my favorite species. A marsupial that rears their young, diurnal, a 20 centimeter long tongue that eats termites and uniquely Australian. There is nothing else like them in the world. Now, two bits of homework for today. I would like you to look up Wandu Woodland and draw me a picture of a numbat in Wandu Woodland. A secondarily and a little bit tougher, we hear so much about endangered pandas and endangered orangutans and endangered elephants and endangered rhinos and they're incredible animals don't get me wrong but there are so many animals in Australia that most of us haven't even heard of I would like you to look up the list of Australia's endangered species pick three that you've never heard of have a look at them and tell me what they are in the comments well, that's all for today see you next time Downtown Eastside Women's Center has been helping self-identified women and their children for decades, but today the DEWC needs your help. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, the center has had to cancel its annual in-person fundraisers, depriving the center of crucial financial resources. Services such as hot meals, clothing, showers, and secure mailboxes are now in jeopardy. To find out how you can help the Downtown Eastside Women's Center, please visit their website at dewc.ca. That's dewc.ca. So I'm here with my co-host, Allison Cole, and we wanted to discuss a brand new documentary film from filmmaker Sean Monson, who made the iconic film Earthlings. Um, it's called There Was a Killing, and its world premiere is tomorrow, but we were able to access an advanced press copy and view it. Um, this film is about the killing of the activist Regan Russell in um, Burlington, Ontario. And uh, Allison, you just watched it. Can you share your thoughts? Yes, I just finished watching it about not even a half hour ago, and I have to say that it uh, it was a really great film. I'm glad that Sean Monson took it upon himself uh, and the animal activists in the Toronto area to make this film because it brings about new evidence that has been held back by the public since this horrible incident, the killing of Regan Russell by a slaughter house trucker since this happened in june it was june 19th i believe and yeah we've heard a lot in the news um 
since then, or actually, prop, I should say, we've heard things in the news that uh, aren't as much as what we'll see in this documentary. So if you want to know the truth, for sure, check out this documentary. I mean, it left me shook at the end. Uh, I think it's very important for people to see whether you eat meat or not, whether you eat pigs or not. This happened at a pig slaughterhouse. And um, maybe we can speak a bit about the background of the story since our listeners may not be familiar with this, especially if they're just tuning in for the first time to Animal Voices. Yeah, I think we've spoken about it a little bit on the show in the past. Um, Regan Russell was an activist in Ontario, and she was involved with Toronto Pig Save, I guess, where the activists, the group that was at this, uh, who had vigils at this pork slaughterhouse on a regular basis and yeah basically she was struck by a transport truck carrying a load of pigs and dragged for many meters um and of course she died uh there were multiple eyewitnesses i think at least six or seven eyewitnesses and most of them are interviewed personally in the film which is interesting um and the eyewitnesses seem to be under the impression that the driver of the truck absolutely did see Regan. Um, he claimed in court, I guess, that he was unable to see her or was distracted or something. Um, but apparently she was very visible. He had been sitting at the light before making the turn um, for several minutes. And, um, and she was standing right in the middle of this driveway. And uh, they claimed that he accelerated toward her. And I guess, yeah, their their belief is that he hit her on purpose. From what they said, it didn't seem like it was an accident, which is pretty chilling. Right. And so this is what I was alluding to is this summer in the in the mainstream news and from police reports, it's been said that it's it's not known yet whether it was intentional or not, but really from these eyewitness accounts, I really feel like they said he was looking into her eyes as mm -hmm. he made that turn. Yeah. So that's that's from eyewitness accounts of people who were right there across the street. By the way, she was crossing the crosswalk mm -hmm. on with her as the having the right of way as pedestrians uh, normally do, but the light had turned green for her, so she was on the other side of the street crossing the crosswalk to get back to her friends, and that's when she was struck. And that truck dragged more than the length of the whole truck itself mm -hmm. before it stopped. It only stopped the one of the activists said that it only stopped because the security guard was yelling at the trucker to stop. Yeah, it was pretty horrifying. Um, I watched the film last night and yeah, just like you, I was deeply disturbed by it. Um, they don't show a ton of graphic footage or anything, but yeah, they show was, one part. Yeah, there's one part. It's not super graphic, but you, it is like very, very disturbing. So that is something to keep in mind if you plan to watch the film. Um, you know, use your discretion and uh, make sure you're in an OK place mentally before you watch it. Um, one thing that really struck me, actually, was that there were a number of counter protests after that happened. I guess people came right. out to protest um, on behalf of Regan and call for justice for her and, you know, for the um, driver of the truck to be tried and charged. 
Um, but then, yeah, people were counter protesting on behalf of the slaughterhouse, on behalf of the trucker, and some of behalf the things. Of farmers. Exactly. Yeah, the pig farmers, and um, some of the things that these people were saying, the things that were on their signs, uh, were really, really shocking to me. Just. Um, you, you know, it was just like basic human decency out the window, you know, people claiming that Regan deserved what she got. She deserved to die. People were, you know, Regan committed suicide. That exactly. was the most horrendous sign I have ever seen. I remember yeah. when it, that photo of that was taken in the summer yeah. and I just couldn't believe that there and I saw the person, they showed mm. a picture of the person who was holding it. How can someone with any basic human decency even think something like that? They can't truly think that. They should watch the documentary. Mm. But to, to, but to not, not only that, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there are also been a lot of online battles between, you know, the pro truckers, pro farmers, pro slaughter people and yeah. animal activists. Since this all happened online on Facebook, I've been seeing discussions and, um, but you know, it's different when you actually show up in person and show, show your face and, mm. and actually, uh, stand there with a sign that says this poor individual. So, you know, part of the, the, the part, part of this film goes on to say that, and they're, they're interviewing um, a former trucker himself or a current, I can't remember, but he's giving sort of his opinions on what would have been his experience had he been and what it's like to be a trucker, one of those really big slaughter trucks that are 73 feet long. And he says, you know, even... It, it's not even a matter of whose side you're on or whether you eat animals or not, but, like, it's just... It's just like it's not uh, it's just completely indecent for a person to hit to strike. Mm -hmm. Eyewitnesses were saying that it was the loudest sound they had ever heard. Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I was struck by that, too. He the filmmaker interviewed them individually, not in a group, but every That's almost true. every single one said, I thought that he hit the fence like it was so loud, the impact and the crunch and, you know, just like there's no way that he couldn't have heard it, you know, even sitting in the truck or felt it. Um, and yeah, like you said, they had a former trucker that they were interviewing and he said, you can feel speed bumps. You can feel when you hit something in one of those trucks. And um, so, yeah, it's just like the whole thing is absolutely appalling. You really, you don't want to think that about people, you know, you don't want to think that somebody would be so malicious as to hit a human being with a truck like that on purpose or, or, you know, just without caring. But there are a lot of unanswered questions, I feel, based on all the information that we have and what the eyewitnesses saw and heard. And um, yeah, it's pretty scary. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with what um, Elise, you had said, their activists are there for vigils. So what is a vigil? We've spoken about it on the show many times, and I've been to quite a number of them myself, both here in Vancouver. We, I don't, I'm not sure if we're still having them, but for, you know, every Saturday, activists usually meet at the Hallmark's Chicken Slaughterhouse in Vancouver, East Vancouver, to bear witness to the poor chickens who are coming through in the transport trucks and just giving them some final uh, words of love and compassion before they see their death and also documenting the photos 
as Anita Krein says in the film, she is the founder of this movement. It's called the Animal Save Movement. In 2015, she was walking with her dog, and she um, she came face to face in the street with the, the pig transport truck. I believe at the same place in Burlington, yeah. and she. Um, you know, she was astonished to be able to see, look into this pig's eyes, or and not not just one pig, but many pigs, and to see their experience and to sympathize or even empathize with what those animals were feeling because they are so much like us. I've been to pig vigils in L.A., a number of them, and, um, and just to, I mean, I've been to the, the chicken ones, but the pig ones too, there's something about pigs that there's so much... You can see so much emotion in their eyes mm-hmm. and their eyes look like human eyes. And yeah. so I think that's why we can read them so much um, so well uh, compared to, say, a bird's eye, because we see how they suffer there in the trucks. We see them shaking. There was a photo that was um, that was just posted on Facebook today that I saw of um, Amy Serrano posted it, actually, of uh of um, a huddle of I think two or three pigs in the slaughter truck trying to comfort each other. That's what that's what it was. That's what she said. But she's right. That's what it was. And it's not applying our own human emotion to animals anthropomorphizing, but it actually that is what is happening, and you can't deny it. And so activists go to bear witness and to give some comfort, to give water to these last to these individuals who haven't had water or any food for days. And there's been agreements at these slaughterhouses that the truckers, uh, I know there's an agreement at um, Los Angeles, um, the slaughterhouse there in Vernon, California, and also there has been at the Hallmark Slaughterhouse, there's been agreements with the slaughterhouse and the activists that the truckers are to stay uh, there um, before they go in for two to three minutes. Some truckers do not want to. This trucker, apparently in the film, it was saying that he had missed a lot of lights because um, he'd been sitting there for the several minutes, right? And it appears that he was really in a rush to suddenly whip around and do that illegal right turn as they've been doing. They turn right into the slaughter facility from the left-hand lane, which right. is, I've questioned that before. I have, I was only seeing that after the incident happened because it was documented many times after that. And I myself wondered why are they allowed to do that? And it is a traffic infraction. You're not supposed to do that. It's dangerous. So the activists are, um, they're going out onto the road, right? But this is not even, I mean, it wasn't even those activists on the lane beside that were in uh, in danger it was Regan who was across the street and was just like knocked and um, and dragged under the truck and I just I can't I can't imagine what that must have been like for the people who were there I mean I I myself seeing it and just uh, it it was you know it's just it all comes down to if you really like you know you and I were discussing earlier what is the point like what is what is the purpose of this film? It also talks about Bill 156, which had just been enacted the day before, as I think I mentioned, and that that bill is to protect. It's an ag-gag bill. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a bill to protect. It actually says in it that truckers who slaughterhouse, um, slaughter transport truck truckers, drivers, <laughs> who um, strike pedestrians, 
are not criminalized mm-hmm. uh, in such a matter unless they do it with intention. Yeah. So yeah, which is huge because I think that directly affected the outcome of this trial. I think that was almost certainly why this trucker didn't get criminally charged because they, I guess, couldn't prove that he had hit her on purpose. Cause how do you even really, well, he that? said he didn't, it was yeah. his, but I think, um, as, as is advertised for this documentary, which is, it's just come out. Mm-hmm. There's new evidence now. I mean, I really hope that case isn't shut and closed. It's not yeah. fair. It's just, it's like, it's like what I, I actually don't know what's happening to, to that, that truck driver. They have, they have released his name since it happened, but he was cited with careless driving, Mm -hmm. a non-criminal charge. He wasn't cited. He wasn't charged with manslaughter, uh, intentional or not. He was cited with careless driving and they make a point in the documentary. Uh, Sean Monson interviews and Anita Crines, who's like I said, started this movement. It has grown to have, um, a thousand chapters in over 70 countries in the last five years. Like I said, we have, uh, we, we have chapters here in the Vancouver area, also in Langley at Fearman's Pork. They do pig vigils there. And, um, and, and anyways, Anita was explaining how she was actually, because one day she, uh, the, the truck driver decided to, uh, press charges against her for feeding water to these really thirsty pigs. We all know about this story. If I guess if you're a Canadian, Canadian and you keep up on the news and we've covered it extensively on the Animal Voices show before, if you go to animalvoices.org and type in Anita, you'll see our interviews with her. But she speaks about how she was actually criminally charged for feeding mm-hmm. water to thirsty pigs. She was charged with criminal mischief facing up to 10 years of prison for giving water to pigs. Mm -hmm. And then this truck driver was cited with a non-criminal charge of careless driving. So what's going on here? What is going on, Elise? Like, this is chaos. And it cost cost an innocent person's life, and he didn't get criminally charged while she was criminally charged there's no justice being served there's just none and it's horrible and and uh regan was a lifelong animal activist she dedicated Mm. her life to this cause and even it says in the film even the day that this bill 156 was finally um put into motion the day so june 18th that day her friend says that he, he was telling she was saying that um that now I have even more work to do because of this bill being passed. It was, uh, it was started in the Ontario government, right? And because that's, it's specifically targeting these activists. And, uh, and then the next day, because of this bill, she, there's no, well, she's struck down, not because of the bill, but we're, you know, it's, 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 um, allegedly, uh, said that maybe the trucker actually hit her and kept going because he knew he could get out of it because of the bill that had just passed the day before to protect him if he says he didn't see the person who he struck. Yeah. So that's the really ironic part here is the day after this happens. It's horrible. Yeah, it's sickening. Absolutely. So do you know where people can view the film if they want to view it? It is premiering tomorrow uh november 7th there's a facebook event for it so november 7th that's tomorrow at uh 
at this will be at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And the event is virtual, as all things are these days. But I think that's actually the best way to have a film screening these days so that everyone has access. Right. And we don't have to go out. We can stay safe. Um, it says uh, a link will be posted to the video and uh, and there will be Q&A's. This free screening will be followed by a live and interactive Q&A at uh, 1245 p.m. PST with director Sean Monson, who and also Los Angeles Animal Save organizer Amy Jean Davis, who we've had on the show, and attorneys Lisa Bloom and Robert Monson, and facilitated by Varun Verlan, who is uh, director of digital media of Animal Save of the Animal Save movement. So we we are posting a link to this um, this world premiere right now on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and we'll post a link to it as well on our website so that everyone has access for it. And it says here in this event that you can also learn more about Regan. There's a website for her at www.justiceforreganrussell.org. I personally want to thank Sean Monson. He's a wonderful animal activist and an award-winning filmmaker, as you mentioned, Earthlings, which has been a life-changing film for many. And he, for for sure. Yeah, is that why you went vegan, Elise? Yeah, it is actually. Oh, (laughs) ten years ago now. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So, um, Sean Sean's a wonderful filmmaker and activist as well, and. And uh, thank I'm thanking him, and and we're thinking also like like I had mentioned before the 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 eyewitnesses, the friends and, and colleagues of Regan. This must have been so hard for them, but they um, they have been. I mean, they've been showing their support since this all happened. There have been there has been so much support for just for justice to to be served for Regan. And I really hope that like the story isn't over. It just can't possibly be as we see in this film. It's only a half hour, by the way, it's really, it's really worth your time to see it and try to get it on that world premiere. And uh, I'm sure it'll be available otherwise afterwards. So yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I had the chance to see it beforehand and, and for us to be able to get the word out there to, to let people know about this really important film. Yeah, me too. Once again, the film is called There Was a Killing. You can find out information about the world premiere November 7th by visiting our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. Vancouver Cooperative Radio, CFRO, 100.5 FM. Homemade, not store-bought. SBCA has no excuse. Animal abuse. It was an eventful day this Monday, November the 2nd, as the Excelsior Four made their second court appearance at the Abbotsford Courthouse, giving their plea statement. These animal activists are Amy Serrano, Jeff Regeer, Roy Sassano, and Nick Schaefer. They have been charged with a total of 21 criminal offenses for their roles in exposing the abhorrent cruelties inflicted upon thousands of animals at the Excelsior Hog Farm. If you want more information about this case, known as the Abbotsford Pig Trial, we've been covering it extensively at Animal Voices, and you can simply do a search for our past podcasts on the issue at animalvoices.org. After the court appearance on Monday, the four then joined over 30 animal advocates who were rallying in support of these activists and against the BCSPCA at the organization's headquarters in East Vancouver. 
upon being given hundreds of hours of video evidence, the BCSPCA has refused to recommend that charges be laid upon the Excelsior farmers or to even publicly acknowledge that the Excelsior hog farm committed multiple acts of horrific animal cruelty, including several criminal acts. While at the headquarters, as there was media present, the four decided to knock upon the door of the BCSPCA offices and were surprised to be granted a full conversation with Lori Chortuk, the general manager of community relations in front of our cameras. This was the first face-to-face conversation that any of them has ever had with a staff member of the BCSPCA since this all started a year and a half ago. And we at Animal Voices were the only ones to video record this full heated conversation. You can watch that 19-minute video on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver or at animalvoices.org. But right now, I am just going to play a clip from the beginning of this exchange, which started with Lori only wanting to speak with media, but then she just started to engage in conversation with the four. And there are many questions regarding past events between them and the BCSPCA in the quest for justice for animals. Here is the beginning of how that conversation went, starting with Roy Sassano, one of the four criminally charged. So you want to answer questions that we have for you regarding that? that how about right here? You're right here right now. That's probably better to go through cruelty investigations. So that's... you won't answer our questions about what you're telling the public about our I'd case? I'd be happy to answer questions on things that are Okay, how about, the, how about your own words? Will you answer questions about your own words to the public, what you're telling them? Uh, you told the public, for example, that uh, uh, BCSPC immediately investigated Excelsior. Um, we have a letter here from Sean Eccles of BCSPCA to the Abbotsford Police with this timeline. He says, after the first video came out and you received a complaint on April 23rd, 2019, two days later, Sean spoke to Excelsior Hog Farm to schedule an, uh, an inspection for the next week. Uh, ultimately, that inspection was done on May 1st. Now, so basically you gave him a week ahead, uh, heads up that you're going to come and take a look. So that's not immediate. Do you have anything to say about that? Do you, would you like to revise well, your statement our, to the public? With all of our responses, and I'll, I'll speak to the public here, uh, we respond to every complaint that we get, and we did respond to this one. Your word was immediate. Unfortunately, the only evidence we have in this file was a videotape that was obtained illegally. We do inspections on farms all the time, and when there's evidence, we forward that to Crown Council. Charges are laid, animals are seized. Specifically about what you told the public that, we that have you to went remember to Excelsior immediately. I think the thing can we you, have to remember is that we're all statement. on the same side. Yes, we and we'd like to be truthful much, about what you're saying and what we're saying. You care about animals. We also care that much about animals, and that's why it's puzzling that instead of working together, and I think what we really want to see and what we really need your help with is we need to hold these farms accountable. And how we need Why to do you that. Why have publicly condemned Excelsior Hog Farm for the criminal animal cruelty that has taken place despite how that footage was obtained? You could have still spoken out publicly because about we're, that. Because we're an enforcement agency, we can only deal with evidence. Why and haven't so you what we want to, do, to remove Excelsior's owner, Ray Benendike, from their board of directors? Because we are an enforcement agency. When we receive a complaint, we respond. But what I'm asking is. You're also is, a media agency, instead, and you're not, you're not taking a stance. Of protesting the people that share your concern about animals. Let's work together because what you we're calling for and what we'd like to see is an independent third party inspection on all farms because we want to make sure that those codes of practice are being upheld. Um, we're a charity. 
with a certain number of constables, we need a much broader scope. And right now, industry is not being transparent. They're not being accountable. But it's beyond the scope of a charity with a few constables. We respond to every complaint, but we need regular inspections on these farms. Unannounced. We, we need to work. Yes, we yeah. need to work. And it has to be an independent, independent of industry, but funded by industry and government. That's what we want to work on together because we all want the same thing. In the end, we want to see that those codes of practice are upheld. And in our advocacy work, we want to keep raising those codes of practice. So are you, so are you agreeing animals. that you saw code of practice violations in the video that came out? We saw them in the video. We did not see them on our inspections. And because we can only deal with what we see so on our inspections. So why on your inspection or, did, did your... your uh, or if that video had been obtained legally, we absolutely could have followed up. We followed up with all the legal evidence we had, but unfortunately we saw nothing on our inspections and we were advised that we could not. On your inspections, your said that we need to see the bigger picture. Like we're all on the same side. We want those farm animals protected. And so I think that's why we need to keep that focus on how do we hold industry accountable? How do we hold government accountable so that we have a full, robust inspection, unannounced inspection um, so, system across BC so that so that we know those codes are being held. That is fully right. okay, right. right, right now. Right, right, right. No. So, right. That's that, an answer. so how can the public take statements like yours seriously that you want to work with us when before there was any conflict whatsoever, the BCSPCA took it upon themselves to turn in the whistleblower, despite having promised that whistleblower uh, confidentiality, despite that violating the BCSPCA's own policy, despite there being zero le legal obligation to do so. How can the I, public take the BCSPCA statement seriously? Misinformation piece there because we were very clear right from the we're an enforcement agency we did not proactively go share that information but we made it clear right from the beginning keep in that mind that we, we have we have the written we statement if we were asked by another enforcement agency we cannot conceal okay. illegal okay. you do understand that we have a written record that that ask never happened and we have and a written we, record of what your uh, we cruelty, have a, cruelty we line have a written record told the whistleblower was not what, saying that, what you're saying that is. they were aware what, of would, that. would you be willing to produce that written record for the public and everyone to see to prove the, the claim that the BCSPCA is making? That is, that is part of an investigations file, so you would have to refer that to our investigations department. So, so that's, that, that's for the I moment, can't. that's a no? No, it's that I'm not the right person to ask that. So, but you're answering uh, the question to the public anyway. Yeah. Even though you're saying, telling us now we, that you're on the We right have person. a written record saying the individual knew that we could not conceal illegal activity. If it went to that, trial. Like, I just that, think that, 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 that is not, court that is order, not, though. That is I mean, I really think that is the not what the BCSPCA's policy is. is that we're the BCSPCA's policy said, and what the whistleblower was promised, was that the only instances under which uh, their identity would be made, um, would be given up is if there was a court order for the BCSBCA to give that up or if the BCSBCA had pursued criminal animal cruelty charges and that person what the witness's name was required in order to pursue with animal cruelty charges neither of those cases instances took place 
I think, again, you need to refer that to the to their cruelty investigations department because I can't answer that question. Okay. Confidential so it's right on your website. Anyone has access to that. Well, we have Roy Sassano here now. Hello, Roy, and thank you for agreeing to come on the show at such short notice. I appreciate it a lot. No problem. Happy to talk. Well, just first so we can get an accurate update of the court proceedings that are taking place in your case now, can you briefly let us know what happened at your appearance at the Abbotsford Courthouse this Monday and then what you expect next in the process? On Monday, we went in to enter our not guilty pleas uh, for all charges. All four of us uh, did the same thing there. We confirmed also that... um, the court is proceeding with the t- charges, um, the indictable route, the more serious route. Uh, that technically means that each charge could result in 10 years in jail. Um, not, you know, necessarily likely, but uh, but that's uh, what we're facing. Um, and the but the good news is that with the indictable charge, we had an opportunity to choose how we would be tried, and we chose to. Uh, Uh, be tried by jury, which will put us in a Supreme Court with a jury. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so the next thing that happens is uh, it should be December 14th or by September 14th. We will be um, hearing uh, when, sorry, finding out when our, uh, uh, when the trial is going to start. Uh, We're not expecting it to be uh, very quick. We're expecting to be be, uh, in a year, but uh, uh, we'll see what happens. So I've been playing some clips of um, you, Amy Serrano, Jeff Regeer, and Nick Schaefer. You all joined us at the BC SPCA headquarters on Monday yes. after your thank you court for, appearance. Thank you for that rally. That was amazing. Yeah, we had about, I guess we had over 30 people there. And and then, and so you all made an appearance and Amy did a media statement. And then, I don't know whose idea it was, but since we were right there, you decided to knock on, literally knock on the door of the VCSPCA headquarters to speak to whoever might be there. You know, it's been interesting for me to review the film footage today. And I think that you've probably had a chance to look at it by now, have a second look at what happened, because while yes. it was happening, you know, it was kind of surreal. I, I feel like it was a really heated <laughs> conversation and there was some yelling and there was and but there was a lot of listening and respect as well. Yes, so yes. so I am very interested to know what uh, your takeaways <laughs> were from this epic conversation that you four had with Lori Chortuk, the general manager of community relations this week. And first she did not even want to speak to you four. It was you, Roy, who um kind of like like pushed your way in you just started to inject your questions you, then she had the cameras on her she started to respond she started to engage in a conversation with you for and as I understand it was the first face-to-face conversation that you've ever any of you have ever had since this all started a year and a half ago about this case about what they've done with you and to you so one one thing that Lori, she kept reiterating was that they, the BCSPCA, they want to work with you for and not against you. So what was your impression upon hearing this statement that she kept repeating? Uh, well, um, first off, um, two 
for credit. And to the BCSPCA's credit, they have been willing to respond at all, and in this case, willing to speak to us at all, which is uh, great. Um, uh, right there, I, I, I commend uh, Lori and the BCSPCA for that. Uh, of course, the content of their responses, uh, you know, is kind of lacking. She's a professional um, in that PR uh, field, so she knows how to not answer questions that uh, uh, that will make her look divert, bad. Divert, divert. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, which you know, I think you've learned. I've learned. We all know that's the way you play it. Whatever. I shy away from playing it too hard. If, if there's a specific question, specific answer. Um, so yeah, with response to what she's saying about working together, um, that's interesting because obviously this was, like you said, the first face-to-face discussion we've had. Um, we've sent several emails to them, their board, whatever, and we always get these kind of, uh, um, not really forthcoming, uh, responses, uh, sometimes some, um, misinformation uh, coming to us, going to the public as well when other people contact them. Uh, Lori herself actually uh, had recently put out a email to the public that was full of uh, information that's not consistent with reality, um, at least by the documentation we have. Uh, they, uh, that's all about the BCSBC's investigation, what they did. Um, so when she says we want to work together, the first thing that pops into mind is that you know, we have documentation that shows that uh, Sean Eccles from the BCSPCA um, decided to turn a confidential informant over to the police when the police didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. And as far as anyone can tell, there's no legal obligation for them to uh, turn anyone over, even if they are asked. Uh, the only exception, of course, is if there's a warrant, uh, which there wasn't. Um, at least there's no record of it anywhere. No one said anything about it. So there's no warrant, no ask. They just took it upon themselves, you know, these these people are annoying me, uh, I'm going to turn them over to the cops, and that's one of the one of the reasons they're partially responsible for uh, this whole ordeal getting to this point. Um, so if they, they want to work with us, start by, uh, you know, not turning against us out of nowhere. Right. It was either, I think it was both you and Jeff who actually posed this question straight to Lori, the fact you said that you know, you sold us out, <laughs> you you gave the identity, you called the police right away, you weren't asked to do so. But then she said something like, what did she say? Do you remember? Well, she's been responding an email uh, quite, uh, you know, with something kind of strange, a couple of things. Uh, one, um, saying that uh, at first, uh, sorry, I don't know if it was her personally, but the BCSPCA had said at first, that the, uh, as a special constable, as soon as they find out there was a crime, they were uh, legally obligated to report that. Um, as far as we can tell, that's not true, and it's also against their own confidentiality policy, and it's against the policy that uh, the whistleblower was told, the informant was told, as they, as they say. Right. Um, you can see on their website that they do say, you know, we protect your confidentiality unless we need to turn your information over to press uh, animal cruelty charges or if there's a warrant uh, for something. And, you know, as a side note, I'll, I'll say that uh, we discovered that a uh, major media outlet was also approached by, was sorry, approached by the Abbotsford Police Department with a warrant um, for that same information. And that media outlet, uh, uh, an institution that has no interest in animal welfare or anything uh, told the police to go away 
basically, um, you know, we're going to re-examine this warrant and we're going to find out what's wrong with it, which they did. And they sent it back to the police saying, your warrant is invalid. Go away. Uh, BCSPCA, who has an interest in, uh, uh, you know, protecting animals, uh, didn't, they weren't even asked as far as anyone can tell. And even if they were, there was no warrant. They, they just did it. Uh, they're doing a worse job of protecting animal advocates than just, you know, mainstream news. Yeah, Lori actually, I remember now, she said in the conversation that they actually have it in writing that they were asked. And then Jeff said, can you, are you willing to um, show us that proof, that document? Yeah, we, she we, didn't we, respond, the, I don't think. It, it was curious for her to say that because uh, we have um, their internal emails that explained um, what happened on the, on the phone call, what, uh, what the informant was told. Um, we have the notes from the police detective, uh, uh, just basically saying that the BCSPCA called one day and said, Hey, we, we have someone to, we have, I have to tell you about something. Um, so, you know, Hey, it's possible that uh, maybe the BCSPCA is saying that the police are lying. I don't know. Um, or, uh, uh, maybe there was, uh, um, some other things that, uh, that Lori or someone high up was told. Um, about, but as, uh, in the written record in the email internally from the BCSPCA where, uh, where there's a summary of the conversations um, with, this, uh, with this informant and the BCSPCA, they said exactly what they say on their website, which is, you know, we, we protect your confidentiality unless there's a warrant or, a, sorry, a court order or if uh, we need your information in order to pursue animal cruelty charges. And all four of you had a lot of questions for Lori, really good ones. And, you know, I, I, I feel like all these questions had been, you just had them burning in your heart and soul for so yes. long. And you want, and you're finally like, we get to ask. So do you feel like you received any concrete answers to any of your questions during this conversation? In that conversation, definitely not. Uh, like I said, Lori is a pro. Um, she did not directly answer any questions. It was... Uh, sometimes, you know, I think uh, she's quite transparent about that and you could see through it, which is uh, maybe she's not as much of a pro as I thought because I noticed. Uh, for example, uh, she several times said, oh, that's a that's a question for cruelty investigations. And she knows damn well that uh, we and the public have been in, in contact with their uh, cruelty investigations over and over and we're getting responses from like her and Marcy. Um, and if she's saying that, you know, sometimes she's saying, oh, I can't speak to that. She'd be saying that to a question that she has answered in an email like a week ago. She's been going to the public mm. totally fine. She's been, she's been fine going to the public last week, uh, emailing people to say, hey, we, we investigated Excelsior right away and we found nothing. When we have documentation that shows that they waited two days, like April 23rd, they knew about the animal cruelty. April 25th, they phoned the BCSPCA to schedule an appointment for the next week to do the inspection. And they eventually went there on May 1st, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, Excelsior was getting ready for that inspection, I'm sure, starting from the 23rd when they first uh, when they were first outed. Um, and they knew that inspection was coming as of um, April 25th. Um, they should have been ready for the inspection by the time we were, you know, inside that barn. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can tell cold. you on April 28th when I personally crossed the line to the hazmat section of the barn there was immediately four dumpsters there and what did we find in there dead pigs 
that were bleeding yeah. of all different ages. They had thrown away the um, the violating evidence, and I'm sure those dumpsters were emptied by the time they yeah. had their formal inspection. Yeah, and you know, but keep in mind, on top of that, uh, you know, some of the condition of the animals inside, even when they were prepared for the inspection, was just, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't even. You, you run out of words. You run out of. Um, you run out of tears for, for that kind of thing, you know. Yes. So, uh, just moving on here, can you give us the bullet points on what you feel the BC SPCA needs to do at this point? Uh, well, um, for me personally, I do want them to acknowledge uh, the truth about turning a confidential informant over to the police just on their own, um, with no court order, no request whatsoever. Uh, you know, stop lying and, and apologize. Uh, I would also like them to review all the evidence that the informant provided. Um, one thing they've been saying lately is that, uh, uh, <laughs> as, as late, lately as uh, the day after um, our visit to the office, is that the informant, they couldn't pursue the charges now, they're saying, because the informant would not cooperate. <laughs> and yeah, we have a full email record of the informant emailing saying, hey, here's the clips. Hey, any progress? Hey, in case you didn't see the clips yet, here I cut down, um, I cut, cut, cut the key points for you where there's code violations. And here are the code violations that I, that I pulled out myself um, and, and didn't get a response. Mm -hmm. um, so they had more than cooperation. Um, they had enthusiastic cooperation. They, you know, yeah. the, this informant was doing the work. For, for free, them. for yeah, free, for, for them doing their <laughs> yes. work for them. So you know they they should review that evidence themselves. Um, once they do that, they'll see that there are uh, there's a lot of animal cruelty. Some of it legal, routine that uh, you'll see anywhere. And if you want to stop that, you have to go vegan. Uh, but even if you don't, there were there was cruelty that uh, was against the codes of practice, criminal animal cruelty. And we need them to acknowledge that and say that uh, so that they can go public and condemn Excelsior Hog Farm for those acts of animal cruelty uh, and, you know, just tell the industry that we can't see this type of thing. This can't, this can't happen. And, right. you know, we, they, there has to be some consequences. Like uh, um, you, you noticed uh, that uh, the owner, one of the, one of the owners of Excelsior, Ray Benendike, is on the board of directors for BC Pork. Um, the BCSPCA has to be pressuring BC Pork to remove a member who, who's caught um, violating code to such degree uh, and say, you can't have someone like that on your board. That's, that's unacceptable. But first, the BCSPCA has to tell Excelsior that they don't approve of their violations and yeah, acknowledge I mean, I mean, that they saw them. Acknowledge that they saw them, acknowledge that they would be... You know, BCSPCA at some points is saying that they can't proceed with charges because uh, Crown says that the evidence would not be uh, admissible in court because it was obtained illegally. So at this point, for all animal advocates out there who are listening to this, what are some easy actions that we can take after this week's new developments? Uh, well, um, most of them probably have already, but there is a petition on change.org mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I'm guessing you could just link or I something. I will repost it on our Facebook yeah. and on our website, animalvoices.org. Yeah, um, so it's uh, it's a petition to to pressure the BCSPCA to recommend charges um, against Excelsior Hog Farm 
or at this point, do anything. That's kind of the ask at this point to, to the BCSPCA. Do something. Um, you know, side with the animals, not yeah. with the industry. There are some other easy ways that our listeners can help, and we have them posted up on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver and also on our website for today's show at animalvoices.org. We are out of time, but thank you so much, Roy, for joining us and sharing your thoughts with us, and please keep up the good work. You too, and thank you. Thank you for documenting all that. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil territories. Join us here next Friday, November 13th at noon for more informative animal-friendly programming. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. And now we'll leave you with a song. This is Carmel Charlton with Numbat. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today. Please stay safe and healthy and remember to be kind to the animals. ways to engage and educate your kids while schools are closed? Your kids can learn from home with C-Smart's Ocean Defender online courses. 
Kids aged 7 to 10 become an ocean defender through interactive virtual lessons and hands-on activities. CSmart provides all the resources your kids need so you can work from home with ease. Even better, CSmart wants to support you with their Pay What You Can initiative. Visit csmartschool.com to register today. That's S-E-A, smartschool.com.